0: Hi, this is Reg Harbick, and today I'm here with my colleague, Derek Britton, who is uh, a very active member of the enterprise computing community, and especially the COBOL community. Uh, Derek, uh, maybe if I can get you to start by telling us, how did you end up uh, being such an officiato of both COBOL and enterprise computing?
1: Hi, Reg. Yes. Well, and uh, thank you for having me here, and thanks for the question. It's a good question, actually. Um, my hope is that I'm not a complete stranger to some of your listeners. As I've been working with with Tech Channel, for example, I've been published by Tech Channel, Systems Magazine, as it was before that. Uh, Plus, I've written for and presented at places like Share, GSE in the UK and Europe. Um, And perhaps more recently, more notably, on the open mainframe projects uh, where you and I have spent some time together, Reg. But if you look me up on LinkedIn or Twitter today, it says something like tech marketing guy. So, you know, you perhaps think, well, that's not really an aficionado of enterprise computing, perhaps. Um, And, and, you know, the the role I have today, I'm not going to lie about that. But my story with technology and enterprise systems, well, it starts quite a long time ago when I joined a company called Microfocus as an intern in, well, it was the last century, 1989, I joined uh, as an intern. Um, and I was in the middle of a bachelor's degree in uh, computer science, yeah. and Microfocus had an internship program at the time. Now, and when I got there, the, the first order of the day, of course, was to set me up with machinery. You know, nothing really changes. Um, and of course, you know, it took longer than they thought it would. And so nothing does change. Um, and what they presented me with was this this nice, shiny new IBM XT. PC, uh, five and a quarter inch floppies running MS-DOS as I recall. Oh, I remember those. Yes what a fantastic bit of kit that was and, and you also couldn't steal it because it was too heavy <laughs> um, uh, but it's just a it, computer
0: that, you can carry, right?
1: Again, precisely, <laughs> precisely, um, and it also served, of course, as a terminal to connect to their mainframe at the time, which is where they had their email system, their print service, and a variety of other applications, and such like. So, from the word go, and kind of without realizing it, actually, I was, I, I, I was the, the full mainframe user guy, but um, you know, that didn't realize that that's what was happening to him mm. at the time. Now, but the reason I took that job, the reason Microfocus offered it to me in the first place as an intern, and then a couple of years later as a grad, was because I knew a bit about this thing called COBOL. Mm. Uh, and, and of course, you know, I knew it at the same level that I knew C or Pascal or whatever else I'd learned at the time at university. Um, and even though I had used a Microfocus COBOL product to learn it, uh, on my degree course because Microfocus was a- among the vendors who could supply that kind of um, learning tra- training program at the time. I hadn't really joined the dots that I was was actually joining the organization that actually built the, uh. the COBOL products. Uh, um, you know, the people who actually wrote the compilers were in the same building as me. Uh, and of course, a COBOL compiler is written in COBOL, as you would expect. and and um, And I think from I think probably from that very point when I realized that fact, and I spoke to some of the people responsible, um, that COBOL kind of got under my skin. And I think, mm. you know, if you, I think if you cut me in half now, let's not run this experiment, by the way, if you cut <laughs> me in half now, I think it might say COBOL through the middle. Mm. Um, so I was, I was lucky enough to work on said compiler for, for a while when I returned um, as, a, as a graduate. Uh, and then I ended up building, uh, helping the team that was building compiler products for a range of what would be called, in today's terms anyway, emerging new platforms. So this is where the, the manufacturers of the day, and of course, this was around the early and mid-90s, mm-hmm. um, it, it, where the manufacturers of the day were, were were building machines as fast as you could, you know, come up with a new chip architecture or a new operating system variant um, and so the pervasiveness of, of COBOL is that is that's kind of where that started out. Now, now COBOL is a highly portable language mm. and it was it was designated as requiring to be, you know, way back when, when they designed it in the 50s. Right. But actually, but actually, you know, the availability of you know such diversity of machinery and operating systems that really didn't take off in. In quite the, the same way, until the mid 90s, when you know there came along dozens of variants of, of Unix and something called OSF1 from Digital, and later something something very strange-looking called OS2, and mm-hmm. uh, 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 even more curious still, this thing called a Windows environment. I remember seeing the what was it, version 3.0A, when it was <laughs> applied to us by well, the
0: pre-networking version.
1: Yes, and anyway, it really, really was a bit of a challenge to get anything working on it, let alone COBOL. Um, now, so remember back then, there was a, you know, effectively a pitch battle between these manufacturers about who was going to emerge on, on the desktop, you know, as the as the machinery of choice, and, and you know, Unix or some version of it was a big bet for many, but there were literally dozens of options, Reg. You know, chipsets, variants of whatever it was, System V, Unixware. So you had people like Texas Instruments, you had SGI, Olivetti, Toshiba, Sequent, Sun Microsystems, HP. There was this thing called AIX as well, which I rather liked. It was quite good. It, it was quite robust by comparison. Um, now, But each manufacturer would ship their new box, you know, f- almost fresh from the factory, you know, paint still wet, if you like, with a BIOS manual. And we'd have to start tweaking the product. Uh, almost reverse engineering it based on the BIOS to figure out how it would work on that OS and chip uh, and against the BIOS, the printers and the screen and whatever have you. So you should have seen my desk at at work. It was like an Aladdin's cave. (laughs) I mean, you couldn't find me, but you could find a lot of machinery. Um, And it was, you know, from all over the world, from Europe, US and Japan. And, And as you could probably gather from the way I'm describing it, it was, you know, they were halcyon days. It was a very exciting time for the IT world in general, mm-hmm. but just for making what was already a very established technology available on as broad array of machinery as the market was demanding at the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, sort of that's how it all started out. And that's what Microfocus, that's what its business was back then, building portable COBOL products that worked across all these environments. And that's it's so interesting... interesting.
0: Uh, yeah, I guess we're both agreed. that's interesting. Um, yep. you know, you're talking about that. And it's so parallel to the journey of Unix because I remember back in the early 90s, you know, Unix was basically right once compiled anywhere, except it was actually right once debug everywhere. Uh, <laughs> know, and, and then of course, you know, there's other products that rode on top of Unix that were compiled according to the same theory, you know, I I was working with a few of those, you know, and to to be reminded that, in fact, COBOL was one of the first things that was really designed to be multi platform. Um, And I have to admit, I didn't know the compiler for COBOL was written in COBOL, but it makes sense. I mean, the C compiler is written in C. Uh, so, So continue on.
1: Okay, well, some of the OS specifics thing you would use, you know, under Unix you would use C to call the OS to do certain things. You know, some of those some of those lower level functions, and and on um, you know on DOS based systems you would use you would use 8086 assembler to do the same thing, but fundamentally. The, the guts of you know the compilation process is is a you know it's a single descent parser written in Cobol. It, it compiles itself. It bootstraps itself in order to get the compiler to work. And, and yeah, you're right. Very few technologies can claim that level of portability or compatibility across well, what, what they wanted to call standard environments, but as you've rightly suggested, they, it was anything but a standard environment at the time. It was people vying for, jostling for position to create what was to become an emerging standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, no one really did it as well as COBOL did back then. Remember, there was no Java at the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, there wasn't even that comparison. So the inherent portability which is actually, to be honest, one of the facets of the language is that isn't that widely known, especially outside the mainframe environment. Mm-hmm. Because COBOL is known as, you know, a bedfellow of the mainframe. COBOL, yeah. COBOL kicks on the mainframe is kind of that's the holy trinity, to be honest. And so it's 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 a fairly well kept secret in, in the mainframe world that COBOL could actually happily coexist alongside. And of course there are some use cases where that would make sense. It was a big mm-hmm. part of how it became so pervasive Um, and i mean perhaps one of the interesting elements of that is of course Cobol doesn't really sit on its own at all you know Mm -hmm. is, you know no language is an island and and as i've said like jcl Mm -hmm. as the traffic uh, as uh, sorry as the is the driving engine and 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 kicks as the traffic cop you know Mm -hmm. without those stable mates it's not really as meaningful in terms of building well let's call it enterprise class applications right so versions of all of that came along um, at the at a similar time to provide a fuller experience and so no surprise at all and i thought you know i thought it's worth mentioning here that there was an awful lot of collaboration between the people in our our labs that when we were working on the cobra compiler products and and folks like the guys down at hersley park at, mm-hmm. at ibm and other IBM labs to ensure that the COBOL that we were building was consistent and compatible with what was going on then on the mainframe and indeed what might be happening on AIX and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, hence things like AD cycle to, to effectively unify the overall approach with how things were being built and delivered. And so you know we collaborated a heck of a lot on um, well a lot of products that ended up on other IBM platforms, and the mainframe compatibility of a lot of those things are, uh, you know, simply exists because of the collaboration between, you know, the various divisions and 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 you know, very very smart technicians on both sides.
0: It sounds like uh, you had the chance to hang out with the, the good folks in Hursley a little bit yourself.
1: Well, it's, of course, it's just down the road from our HQ here in in the UK. So, I mean, yeah, it's 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 a it's a car ride away if things needed doing. So they were, I think, regular kind of tech. Um, I can't remember the name they used, but anyway, there was a sort of a formalized program of 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 technology swaps and preview sessions that we were able to do for each other, where you know it was appropriate when it's appropriate to do so. Of course, um, you know, and depending on who was coming out with what feature first or, or what what. Because remember, the COBOL standard is mm-hmm. itself an open standard. So you you apply to the standards body and then they decide what's what's sensible and what's not. Sometimes you go ahead and implement things yourselves anyway and, and see what the market penetration is. Mm-hmm. All of that was going on over the last, you know, well, actually three or four decades. So... And you've been right um, yeah. in the middle
0: of all this so so your career is sort of grown up in parallel to this so we, we have you in the 90s now um and then of course Y2K comes along and that must have been a really interesting experience for you personally
1: <laughs> i think it i think it was a, an interesting time for everybody wasn't mm-hmm. well, it, it was because amazing. i think cuz there was um, and i'm going and i'm going to touch on this again in a short while where we talk about you know cobol's enduring pervasiveness and viability as a language, it gets tested on a regular basis. Um, and uh, when, when I do some presentations about the COBOL language, um, uh, which I do from time to time, uh, I, I, my, my favorite quote is one from 1960. 1960 was before the first COBOL compiler had even been released, and that someone was in the
0: fall of 60 that actually came out. That, that's, right?
1: that's correct. They, they didn't have a working compiler until towards the back end of 1960. And earlier that year, someone, it's anonymized, but it can only be one of about a dozen people, um, said, I don't see this lasting out the rest of the decade. They haven't, even, they haven't even released the first version. So people were, you know, there is a small number of people paddling frantically with COBOL. There's plenty of people throwing rocks from the shore. Um, and, and the Y2K was another such instance of that, where it, depending on who you read, the sky was falling. Mm-hmm or it was simply a straightforward engineering problem that had to be resolved for a number of applications, provided you could identify them in time. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, many people ignored the signals, and, and, and therefore there was a rush. And, there were, and people made a lot of money doing a relatively straightforward task for a number of organizations, because people had maybe forgotten or overlooked the importance of those things. But actually, it was Although- a relatively straightforward fix.
0: The, uh, that said, I mean, you, you want to talk about Windows crashes? Um, you know, we've we've got some of those coming up with a lot of these applications that were sc- stopgap fixed for Y2K, assuming they would eventually go away before the window ended.
1: <laughs> That's right, and the window ends, you know, depending on how you've done it. Maybe in less than a decade or so, yeah. or depending on how you've done that. Um, but you know, it, it wasn't an insurmountable problem then. It's not an insurmountable problem in the future. It just needs planning. And of course, the the technology availability, which um, and and you know, my organisation, uh, along with many others, had technology and con- consultancy to mm-hmm. to help solve that problem. Um, uh, the technology is is so advanced now that you you can have you you can have a find and fix. Mm-hmm. Um, exercise which was I, I which i think in most cases would be relatively straightforward nice. um, at least as long as you plan it carefully so I guess fast forward beyond the y2 case because it, it was exciting but it was somewhat anomalous everyone made a ton of money for a short space of time and then actually from the y2 from 2001 2002 onwards a lot of people did look around because of course that was the time of you know the new dawn of e-commerce and everyone was getting fairly excited about the internet and the Finally, people were figuring out that you could actually do, do quite a lot of these things using your internet connection in a way that perhaps perhaps only the mainframe world had really understood in terms of mm-hmm. connectivity. You know, the, rest of the, the rest of the technical world was catching up with that. So fast forward a few years beyond that, Microfocus then says, well, we need to be looking at um, you know, more seriously what some of these COBOL applications are, are, are needing to do in the future. Um, And so I'm now spending time listening to uh, mainframe users. I'm in the US listening to big banks or insurers or healthcare providers. Now, just
0: for for positioning, how would your career gone to this point? You know, you sort of changed. You obviously weren't an intern anymore. And it sounds like you would gained quite a bit of experience with the same company. So your roles must have sort of reflected a lot of this.
1: Yeah, so I've moved out of a purely technical role at this stage into um, what's turned um, certainly where I work as product management. So it's kind of looking after the product, the product owner, if you like, in today's terms, um, without actually having to write the code. I think there's there's certainly a, a a reasonable number of people at Micro Focus are very happy that I moved out of coding. Um, <laughs> stop them having to go back and, you know, sort of fix the bugs, I, I would imagine. But um, the, so yeah, it's a product management function. So it's actually more front of house um, mm-hmm. than, than a tech role, pure tech role would have been. So I'm getting to hear, you know, firsthand from IT leaders in these these um, huge organizations. Mm-hmm. And even even back then, which is, I'm talking, you know, this is still over 15 years ago. I'm hearing about the requirements for automation you know, improved delivery processes, better collaboration across teams, you know, between the teams that happen to use this kind of environment, the teams that happen to use that kind of environment. So, you know, it, it doesn't quite predate the Agile manifesto, but, but it certainly predates DevOps. Mm. And so those things definitely arrived at the right time, as I think did a more open approach to technology. So, you know, bring it forward a few more years, the mainframe delivery tool chain, you know, might have something like Endeavor or Changeman. I would recommend Changeman every time, of course, but I, <laughs> but my company happens to sell it. So, um, you know, that might be the mothership driving the whole thing. But of course, nowadays, it might be using Git, almost certainly, it might be using Jenkins, might be using a modern IDE for the dev site. It might have a distributed collaborative testing process, might be using cloud facility to to provide some resources, might be using containers as the delivery model. Well, it might It might not. It doesn't matter. It's all possible. It's all plug and play. It's all connectable. And it's all adding value quickly to what our core cherished critical systems that are still being delivered to the mainframe. And that's a huge step forward. It's a great step forward. And it's, you know, the fact that everything is more connected now and enterprise computing is genuinely, you know, that's all all of that stuff at the back end, including now whatever you term as the cloud, including the mainframe. So, yes, I'm lucky enough to be able to spend time I think in the modern era, talking about the fulfillment of a number of requirements that, you know, clients have been having for years, if not decades, Reg. You know, none of these problems were new when I heard them. Um, this wasn't a eureka moment in 2005. This has been, you know, the, the desire to deliver more with the resources that you had, the skills that you had, mm-hmm. and the applications you were working on. That's been a constant need. And and that need is being largely fulfilled by the the advances of certainly the last decade. And I mean, I'm constantly astonished by the range of and the scale of the COBOL applications that continue to be built and delivered Mm -hmm. and the things that they are doing. Um, But if I can give you an example of that, the the most enduring statement to me that I think I heard during that period, and I, I, I kind of remember it like it was yesterday, simply because um, because of the person in question, it's one IT director who he put me very straight on something. You'll like this. I asked him about his plans for, and I used the uh, it's exactly the words I use for his legacy systems. And he threw me what what could only be described as a fairly withering glance, <laughs> and it, and he said very quietly, very quietly, and not very loudly, which is obviously the worst kind. Mm. He said, Derek. These are not my legacy systems. They are our are our core business. So, and when you consider the value of these applications, it helps you know helps you get a very clear level of expectation for how to treat them in terms of skills, in terms of investment, and in terms of attitude to change. And I think that was the moment I think I truly realized the profound and enduring value of COBOL technology and how vital it was to some mm-hmm. of these organizations. So that throwaway statement about <laughs> COBOL powering the economy, if you like, and everyone uses it sort of we liberally sprinkle around statements about COBOL being, you know, the bedrock of the economy. Well, at that time, you know, that client was using COBOL to process. And I, late, I checked this later on and they were adamant. They were using Cobol systems to process a third of the country's entire healthcare healthcare claims. Wow. So you know you don't you don't really want to try and count up how many that is on a given day, but I mean this is a huge, huge um, IT undertaking, and they were using Cobol to drive that. And there I was saying, so what are you what are you going to do with this all this dusty old legacy <laughs> stuff? Um, and he put me very clear on that very quickly. And that's, it's at that point, I realized that this is, you know, enterprise computing is, you know, and, and COBOL, that's, that's the stuff that grownups do. Um, Well, this is so important.
0: You know, I mean, just even the word legacy, you know, and I'm I'm one of many people who sort of taken part in the battle of of not even redeeming the word legacy so much as recognizing that it is merely a word that is being tarred by, you know, people who are flashes in the pan and who are going to go away and the legacy stuff is still going to be there because that's of the very essence of what it means to be legacy. You know, the the legacies are the things that make us who we are. You know, yes. those are the things that are still there from the time we're a kid till when we're, you know, grown up and retiring and still keeping the world running. And COBOL and, and you know, that type of enterprise computing have really become a legacy in, in a way that, you know, computing is such a new thing, and yet we already have legacies, and COBOL is one of them.
1: Absolutely right. And, well, I mean, you look it up in Webster's or wherever, you, you, it says something like a benign gift from the past. Mm. I think in COBOL's case, you know, those applications' cases um, – yeah, I would add a, an extra clause on that. It's a benign gift from the past and the present. Mm-hmm. Because actually, the, the point of COBOL is that it isn't a 1959 la- language at all. It's a 2021 language mm-hmm. that was invented in 1959. In the same way, the motor car is not a 1923 technology. Mm-hmm. Unless yeah. you unless you have a Model <laughs> P, yeah. and no one does, You know, it's a 2021 technology. It's, it's how much investment you choose to continue to make that dictates its continued viability.
0: You could say it's the present from the past.
1: It it is. And and I knew I could rely on you to come up with a pity one line.
0: (laughs) So so that said, now, meanwhile, you've been living a whole life parallel to all of this stuff. And you probably have some really interesting uh, things happening that are complementary to your career in COBOL and uh, computing journey, maybe involvement with user groups, that sort of thing. How has that all sort of played together to get to, to where you are today?
1: Well, I mean, it is interesting when you consider that the the technology that we've been talking about, and as exciting as it is, I've been talking about customers, of course, um, but but, but there are a a silent majority, let's call that, of of the the enterprise computing crowd are relatively comfortable with COBOL as a concept. Mm -hmm. But pretty much anyone coming into an organization, if they're not lucky enough to have the experiences I had, they'll happily go through more or less their entire career without really understanding the profound value of COBOL. So the importance of reminding uh, organizations or or communities or, 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 or any other stakeholder of that enduring importance is very clear and but i'm only this is this is the benefit of hindsight i'm afraid i'm looking back you know from 2021 backwards knowing that it was hugely important to have a community that understood and was evangelizing the value of cobalt um but i think a couple of things have drawn me towards that now i mean the good news is the cobalt has always had its its fans it's always had its detractors it's always had its fans so and you would find those guys at share you'd find those guys at GSE and you know Microfocus and and you know alongside some of our vendor buddies we've been intending those community events let's call them that for 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 years if not decades but actually the thing that happened over the last couple of years i think which has brought it into sort of fairly sharp relief uh, is well first of all the anniversary of cobol's um the 60th birthday of Co. came up um, in 2019. I marked the anniversary of September when they came up with the name, um, which is, it was the only thing they actually could agree on in that particular <laughs> month. So, I mean, I think that, that that's the one we stuck with. So, you know, we, in in marking that, that um, 60th anniversary, I wrote a white paper to mark the occasion and and... I spoke at Share that year with, uh, and I I wheeled in Tom Ross, Captain Coble of IBM, Mm. uh, to to help me with that. Um, uh, Possibly, uh, possibly the highlight of my career until today. That is, of course, I got a spot on. (laughs) On uh, that's that's what it says to say here on this cue card, anyway, Reg. uh, um, I got a. I got a. got a slot on frank and jeff's terminal talk to talk mm. about uh the cobalt anniversary dizzying heights i know as you can imagine <laughs> um those
0: are good really good guys those terminal talk podcasts are excellent
1: yeah they are uh, but what what then so i mean that's one thing there was a notable amount of you know outpouring of, of interest and i think relief in some cases from some some of our customers to see just how much how vibrant the 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 discussions were about Kobol. a lot of very positive press But then, what you know, less than a year later, what excited me then was the news stories around when various various IT leaders—they can go unmentioned um, here—talking about the the, you know the the heart of the problem of 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 why you know they couldn't process unemployment checks just for the sake of (laughs) argument. Um, You know, they couldn't do that quickly, and I thought apparently Cobol was to blame. now, of course, excited is not quite the verb I might have used in private, but I think you get the point about my my reaction to that news. And I, I found myself uh, blogging fairly feverishly about this to put across my view. And I wanted to say, look, guys, uh, COBOL is still in the top 30 popular languages, if you, according to the TOB index, which you can look up yourselves. Um, I also wanted to say COBOL is strategic in nine out of 10 cases, according mm-hmm. to a survey that we'd run only that year. You know, I wanted to put the record straight, but I also noticed there were a number of other people who were blogging to try and put the record straight at exactly the same time. Mm-hmm. There was this sort of, you know, almost outpouring of mm-hmm. emotion about, well, wait a minute. No, no, that's not, that's not right about Kabul. You've got to get this in perspective. You've got to hear the truth here. And so a few of us got in touch with each other, um, almost like one of those, you know, one of those support groups that you set up, you know. Hi, I'm Derek. And I love COBOL. <laughs> it's nice to meet you all, and that sort of thing. But we decided to do something about it. So I spoke to a few people. Um, uh, I, I Cam, especially. I spoke to and and we spoke to Patrick John Cameron's Murtich. Saying, yeah, yeah. Uh, I spoke to John John at the Open Mainframe Project. John Murtich, yes. and. I said, look, can we set something up here? I think there's enough of us that want to just get together and, you know, and tell a story here and to set the record straight on COBOL. John loved the idea immediately, thought it was a great idea. And, and you'll remember the idea, Reg, because you jumped right on in as well. And we've gotten a lot of support since. And in fact, that open mainframe project's support of COBOL has, has proven to be a, a fresh impetus, I'd say, mm-hmm. in terms of getting attention, getting that community re-energized. Um, and re-engage, which is absolutely great for the language, but good for the community at large as well. Um, so I think, you know, looking ahead, if you consider those couple of things, the anniversary, the, shall we say, the, you know, the, the naysayers that cause that, that sort of backlash, uh, and the the generation of the new community spirit, I think as well as you know, being a, a Micro Focus employee, which I still am, as but as a member of the OMP, both of those roles kind of together allow me to continue to tell that story of COBOL through through social media, through Share, through OMP itself, through GSE and elsewhere, through Tech Channel, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, because for me, core enterprise systems need enterprise class technology to last. Mm-hmm. And COBOL is a key ingredient in building robust enterprise technology systems. You know, it's a key part of that stack. It's portable. It's good for business. It's pervasive. It's very easy to learn. It's why I fell in love with it in the first mm-hmm. place, because I could get it far far more easily than I could get C. Um, and it's constantly being updated. So it's kind of the best in the business. That's another mm-hmm. pithy one-liner you can use there. Um, yeah.
0: Uh, you could almost call it the Rolls Royce, or perhaps more accurately, Bentley, of computing programming languages.
1: Well, I think B B for Bentley makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? So we can go <laughs> with that. Yeah, I, I think Bentley will be, Bentley will be delighted.
0: <laughs> Great. Hey, any closing thoughts uh, or or uh, maybe a vision for the future of enterprise computing in Cobol?
1: Well, I mean, given what I've just said, you know, I'm talking about a you know an ups an uptick of interest and usage. Um, and usefulness and viability and understanding and appreciation and all of those exciting happy things going to happen in the future. Um, I think what we have to just, you know, just do a check on is whether or not that's true, or whether that's just, you know, just Derek's, you know, um, you know, um, what would you call it, triumph of hope over expectation, um, or whether indeed we're just on a downslope with COBOL. and. Our worry is that quiet belief, you know, born out of that mm-hmm. ignorance. People mm-hmm. don't understand it, so they just assume it's going away, that it's being phased out. Well, we, and I, by we, I mean the Open Mainframe Project, but the COBOL community at large, we want to know the truth. Mm-hmm. We really want to know the truth so we have a baseline, we have a level set so that we can actually tell the world once and for all exactly what are we talking about here. So we've surveyed the market. We've asked a bunch of people, as many as we could, to get a sense of how much COBOL there is. And I'm not going to give anything away on on this podcast, but I, I'm sure people will want to tune in for the time that it gets revealed. And I'm, why wouldn't you do it here, Reg? I think it's a great idea. But I know the results are coming. And it, what I can say is it looks like it hasn't gone anywhere. It looks mm. like it's as much in use today as it ever was or as it ever was being projected but also, I think in terms of skills, not just how much there is, but how many people there are, um, I think it, there's a lot to do, a lot left to do to remind folk how useful it is and how easy it is to learn. Yeah. So the OMP is building a, you know, and a number of organizations to help with that as well, building a program of evangelism, but also training. And you have to remind those CIOs that COBOL is viable because- it might not be their background. They might not already know, so they need reminding. And I know people like Misty Decker, who's also on our COBOL working group, you know, she's even talking to legislators about government initiatives around mm. legacy systems to make sure that training question is you know, front and center for the future as well. So there's a lot of value out there, Reg, is my final thought, but it's a lot of value that still needs to be measured and still needs to be explained. And I think we have to remind everyone of that. And I think that's, I still see that as my role in all of this, um, to continue to bang the drum and to tell the story. And I think, you know, all joking aside, when I talked with the Terminal Talk guys at, at the Cobalt 60 session I did, uh, was that 18 months ago or so, I said, you know what, guys? I'm so confident of this. Let's pencil time to talk again at the 70th anniversary. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that's only eight years away, Rich. So yeah. shall, we, shall we pencil something in there?
0: Well, pencil it in for 70, but, you know, I'm really interested in our conversation for the 75th anniversary.
1: 75 um, would be great, too. that's yeah, here's the that. thing,
0: you know, that's that's uh, 13 years from now. Um, you, you, Our colleagues who are our age um, have 20 plus years left on their careers. You know, that's one of the beauties of being a mainframer is you can just keep going. Uh, you know, and and it, it it's amenable to developing that that depth and that experience, and it doesn't you know break you down exactly, you know, like some more physically intensive jobs do. And so I have a lot of colleagues who who are in their you know even 80s still working on the mainframe. And you and I aren't going to be quite there yet in 15, 12, 13 years from now. So so 70 sure, but 75 you know, and and maybe even 100.
1: 75? <laughs> why not? Do you do you mind if I dial in from the beach? <laughs> yeah. Hey,
0: you know, by that time, you're probably going to have your your hands free, just, you know, permanently attached to your ear, you know, powered by your your body's uh, energy, and you just be able to talk to whoever you want to, whenever you want to, from whatever. <laughs> so sure, what the heck? What the heck? Uh, yes, yeah, so let's, let's pencil, pencil both of those in. Uh, I think that we've got a spectacular future. And I think part of our job, I know for me, I mean, I wrote a white paper in 2004 about the need to get a new generation on the mainframe. You know, that, that was 17 years ago, you know, and we're finally doing it, but part of that is that the incredibly slow realization 21 years after Y2K that the mainframe really isn't going away and COBOL mm-hmm. really isn't going away you know and and that it's time for us to wake up and start thinking you know big positive thoughts about okay so we've got this ultimate you know circumstance this ultimate legacy that has so much potential to build on now that it's proven itself like nothing else in the history of computing so let's do that you know, let's 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 you know open this engine up and see where it'll take us you know um Absolutely. So that said, well, thank you so much, Derek. Any last thoughts before I sort of uh, close off the interview for today?
1: Well, it's, it's, been, it's been a pleasure for everyone involved in the community on COBOL, the mainframe COBOL in particular, but, but anyone who cares about COBOL. For, you know, the, the support we've had since, especially since um, the 60th anniversary, mm. it's been phenomenal. 20,000 members on that Facebook COBOL community now. And, you know, growing membership on the OMP, pretty much every barometer you look at, uh, things are looking good for COBOL. The important thing is understand that, recognize that, and get out to the people who don't yet understand. Um, Because the more of us who are telling that story, the easier it's going to be. And, you know, and the bigger the party will be on the seventy fifth.
0: Oh, yes. Let's let's start looking for a good venue for that one.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Great to be with you. Reg, Great thanks time. for the time.
0: You bet. So um, I'll be back with another podcast next month. But in the meantime, check out the other content on Tech Channel. You can also subscribe to other weekly newsletters, webinars, ebooks, solutions directory, and more on the subscription page. I'm Reg Harbeck.